Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of 30 for Net Zero 30, where we're speaking with 30 changemakers around the globe on steps to take now in order to reach 2030 goals. I'm Anna-Marie Slot, Global ESG and Sustainability Partner at Ashurst. Today, several weeks after COP26, we're looking at the role that insurance plays in the wider scope of sustainable finance. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Julian Richardson, CEO and founder of Parhelion, an insurance and risk finance business focused on carbon markets, climate change risk, and renewable energy investments. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julian. Um, looking forward to our conversation about something that people don't always understand uh, is, is critical and important to the way the financial markets work, which is insurance. Um, maybe we could start today with a few minutes of description about your own background and how you've come to be here today. Yeah, sure. Nice to, nice to see you, Anna-Marie. Um, my background is I, I'm an insurance person uh, through and through. I started my career at a company called Sedgwick on the broking side, doing uh, uh, power and mining business, and then moved over to the oil and gas side. Um, and I had uh, that through Marsh and then moved over to the underwriting side at GEERC Francona, mainly on the oil and gas side, still marine and energy business. But for the last 15 years, I've taken what I learned from the insurance industry, um, dealing with these very large, very complex risks and trying to figure out what the role of the insurance industry is in originally the carbon markets and then more broadly, the climate finance sector. Uh, And that's extended throughout to sustainable investment. So I've been working at that nexus of the different stakeholders that we need to engage to transition to a more sustainable future. So it's working with policymakers, working with insurers and reinsurers, working with investors, working with project developers and the multilateral institutions to really understand what the role of insurance is in uh, sustainable finance. Very interesting. And and really interesting that you've kind of had all of these different roles where you were, you know, looking at the risk responsible for covering the risk and now looking at how that fits into kind of sustainable finance in a bigger in a bigger ecosystem what is there has there been or you know given how long you've been in uh, the business have you felt it, any kind of a shift over the last kind of 18 months 24 months I mean we're here after cop 26 is completed so you know that's a that, that was on the news but have you seen that growing or, or do you think that's a, a recent thing? I, I've definitely seen a real uh, inflection point reached, uh, you know, sort of 18, 24 months ago. Um, but it is built on a, a sort of uh, a, a lot of work that a lot of people have been doing across those stakeholder groups that I mentioned previously, and, and civil society, of course, to try and build momentum into climate and sustainable finance. Um, but the, the shift that has taken place more recently um, has been fantastic and uh, a little bit surprising that it's just taken off so quickly. Um, and I think that the, the pandemic must have had something to do with it. I, I couldn't tell you exactly why that is, um, but I'm pleased that it uh, uh, has uh, accelerated this work. And certainly within the UK, hosting uh, COP at Glasgow this year, has brought it front and center to our own national psyche, you know, the challenges of climate change and the implications and the, and indeed, let's not forget the opportunities. 
Um, so that, but there, there's been this uh, phenomenal uptick in activity, interest, and and sometimes even action, which is most important. Yes, no, actually, action is 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 the key point, and really um, should be the the output of all of the conversations. Certainly, um, in terms of action, uh, I guess that that's a that's a good lead into where we generally go next, which is you know, what are you seeing as the actions that kind of need to take place next? You know, Mark Carney has come out with this um, pledge of 130 trillion of private finance. I, I think people who, who don't work in the sector, it's, a, it's hard to conceptualize what that means. Um, but I think particularly with your background, it'd be really interesting to, to hear what that means in terms of how the insurance world and and sector responds to that kind of a kind of a focus on sustainable financing yeah well i think the the important thing that, that really needs to happen is you know we we do we should be doing our day job right and out the day job of the insurance industry is underwriting and that's the part of the uh balance sheet or an insurer balance sheet where we take risks where we have that risk appetite Historically, where we've seen the insurance industry engaged has largely been on the asset side. Um, so seeing the insurers as in institutional investors, which of course they are, but with their investment portfolio, they don't really have a significant risk appetite. So a lot of the international community's focus has been on the asset side of the balance sheet. Uh, and we would argue that it really needs to move the focus to the underwriting side, because that's where we as an industry take risk and can have most impact with uh, the, the, the capital pool that is the insurance industry. You know, the numbers that people talk about, you know, we need a trillion dollars every year for the next 30 years or whatever. Um, they are sort of big numbers and difficult to get your head around. But the insurance industry is a, the property and casualty uh, insurance industry is a $2 trillion pool of capital. And of course, when we use that capital in underwriting, we get very effective leverage. So for $1 of capital, we can write X dollars of uh, risk. Uh, and that's why we need to bring the underwriting community in to um, use that capital effectively and also do its day job. And Insurance, I always say, is the great enabler. Nothing gets invested unless it's insured. Um, and that's because insurance takes risks that the other forms of capital, debt and equity, can't or won't take. And, and so unless insurance capital is there uh, to take those risks that the equity and debt providers can't or won't take, then investment doesn't happen. And so really, you know, the insurance industry is sort of the glue and the oil of the capital stack. And um, by bringing the, the underwriting community to, you know, to, to focus on sustainability, they can, they can bring new products, de-risking products that will help more capital be deployed in sustainable investment opportunities um, and, and remove those risks, which typically act as barriers to, being, to capital being deployed. Um, so that's, the, that, that's the, the first action we need to see. We also want to see more uh, you know, uh, collaboration across uh, stakeholders because, you know, interesting, the Sustainable Development Goal 17, I think it is, is, is about partnerships. And we need to collaborate broadly 
um, with policymakers and uh, other capital providers and civil society to understand what we can uh, do as an industry and where our, uh, our capital is best and most effectively used. One example of that is um, uh, on adaptation and resilience finance. A lot of the attention has historically been on mitigation. So we understand investing in wind farms and solar plants, which uh, mitigates uh, um, emissions or reduces emissions. But we know climate change is here already. Um, and in the, again, in the international community, a lot of the attention has been on, you know, why is all the attention on mitigation? Why is more money not flowing to adaptation and resilience? And again, this is a, a great opportunity for the insurance industry because resilience finance is fundamentally insurance. We can't stop catastrophes happening, but when they do happen, we have to enable communities to bounce back quickly and resiliently from those events. And so the insurance industry has an enormous role to play in it, not just sort of providing insurance type covers, but been it out, you know, the, the expertise and modeling that exists within the industry, um, uh, our, our ability to transfer and tr trade risk uh, is really important to bring that to communities. And people talk about closing the protection gap, um, which is a rather simplistic thing to say, but it is an important thing to enable more people to be covered. Um, and so that when disasters do happen, they're able to bounce back uh, uh, much more quickly and uh, build that resilience into the community. So those, those are um, a couple of things that we want to see, mobilizing that underwriting community uh, and also working on this protection gap. And of course, that means we, we need to get the policymakers um, and the international development community uh, aligned with what we can do in the insurance industry. And, and really interesting points there that I think, um, especially around risk, you know, when, during COP, there was a lot of discussion about what the, the markets can do and the fact that this is, uh, you know, a fundamental mispricing, right? Mm -hmm. Because of these externalities that people haven't historically put into their models. And I mean, you make a very good point. The insurance industry has probably, I would think, the longest models in terms of time horizon uh, of, of most players in the finance market. Um, and, and to have the insurance industry bringing on board how to price these externalities and the shifting impact of climate change now and in the future, um, as you say, I think that's just, that is a, that is a hu huge enabler to the rest of sustainable finance to get the money moving in the right direction overall. Without a doubt. I always ask, you know, obviously a, a, an area that you spent a lot of time in and a lot of, uh, of your working life focusing on, do you have any personal commitments around, uh, around net zero in the kind of next year or so? Are you inspired by, uh, by what's come out of COP? Well, uh, I, I've been working in this area for, for a long time. I did my master's thesis on uh, carbon trading risk uh, 20 years ago, in fact, over 20 years ago. And the first COP that I went to was COP 12, and we're now on COP 26. So uh, I, I've gone through many cycles of um, uh, being inspired and, and then falling into <laughs> despair at the uh, levels of inaction and, and action. 
Um, and uh, what I have learned over that time is that we that you know this is an incremental process, and it's about bringing people with you. And so, whilst um, you know we saw a, a, a good steady drumbeat of announcements coming out of COP that gave us reasons to be cheerful. We also recognise that some of those announcements were either lacking in teeth or lacking in fu uh, funding or um, lacking in, you know, some key partners to, to, to them. But it's all about moving in the right direction. I, I, I wish there was a silver bullet and we could transition overnight, but uh, um, I'm also a realist. And so uh, I recognise that's not going to happen. But I do think, you know, we, we have to just keep focused on the goal and we have to use the momentum that has been built um, and that has been built up over the last 20 years and more uh, and that has been slightly catalyzed over the last 24 months and, and not let that go to waste. And so, you know, the whole Paris Agreement is based on continual improvement to the nationally determined contributions. Um, and as more people get involved, that will build further um, momentum that will become unstoppable and we will get there eventually. I have to say what, you know, the, I agree with you. There was, there were, there were announcements. There was probably some, some lack of detail in, in many of those announcements. But one thing that I did find very interesting coming out of COP was uh, this point that the NDCs, the Nationally Determined Contributions, will be reviewed not in five years time, which has been kind of the historic process, but next year uh, at COP27. And, and, and I think that, that, that hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of airtime, um, but really changes the dynamics around coming back together uh, at, at the next COP. It does, you know, it, it focuses the mind of policymakers and, uh, and it creates a sense of urgency and uh, a little bit of competitive tension as well. It's always healthy. <laughs> so, so from that big picture of COP and, and your impressions of COP, all of which are, are, are you know, quite insightful around how it's been working, bringing that back to your daily routine, what, what is that, what is that going to look like for you going forward? Well, we have a really exciting project on at the moment, and that's to create the world's first sustainable insurance company. Um, and we saw at COP, there was an announcement for a net zero underwriting alliance, which commits to underwriting on a net zero basis, but that's by 2050. Uh, and we don't think we need to wait that long. So we're going to create a uh, net zero underwriter that will be net zero now. Um, and the, we are in the process of uh, a $500 million capital raise to launch this, vi uh, this uh, vehicle. Uh, and it's really exciting because well, what does it mean to be a sustainable insurer? Well, first of all, the assets will be fully screened and allocated based on ESG and sustainability. And that in itself will be unique. And then secondly, which will be even more unique, is we'll take those same screening and filters and apply it to the underwriting side because it's no good having clean investment portfolio if you're then underwriting all those things that you say you won't invest in it just doesn't make sense so having both the assets and the liabilities the underwriting side fully aligned to esg and sustainability um, is crucial and then of course the operations as well so we'll be walking the talk 
uh, and that includes, you know, having a strong commitment to uh, diversity and inclusion. We have a uh, majority female executive team, um, which I'm delighted and, and good representation on the diversity across the other, other elements of diversity. We're going to be a B Corp. Um, and we, you know, people have un understood or heard about impact investing. Well, we also want to develop uh, impact underwriting. And that's when I when I talk about you know bringing the underwriters to offer new products and solutions that is going to drive investment into sustainable investing opportunities. Um, so that's my personal project, and uh, we'll, we've been working on this for quite a few months now, and we hope to have it um, launched uh, uh, early next year. Exciting times, Julian. Indeed. So as your as your takeaway, if there was. If there was one thing that you wanted people to be able to take away or, or, or remember from this, I mean, you, you've covered some really interesting points. I think insurance is both the glue and the oil of, of how finance works and really that big question that lots of people have talked about, about, you know, how do you make projects that work in bankable projects? Insurance is certainly massively key to that. Um, as well as collaboration, partner, partnerships and, and, and the projection gap. What, one takeaway, what, what would that be? Well, I think the, the, the message I'd, I'd like to reinforce, and, and you know, if, if you're a hammer, every problem is a nail, but I, it's the, the, the role of the insurance industry is really important in delivering a sustainable future. As you say, whether it is taking risks and enable other forms of capital to be deployed, whether it is how um, clients are spending their premiums, right? Um, the Fortune 1000 companies spend probably $40 billion a year on insurance. And whilst, you know, all companies are aligning their procurement policies to sustainability and adopting ESG throughout their businesses, you know, that procurement doesn't stop at physical goods. It must also include financial services. So, um, when a, when a company is thinking, you know, I'm going to spend part of this $40 billion on, on insurance, who's my capital, who's my premiums going to be spent with, who's it going to be co-mingled with, and, and what is that insurer going to be doing to, when it invests my premiums? Um, so, you know, driving sustainability through how companies sp spend their insurance premiums and how the insurance industry you know, can enable the transition to sustainability is my key message. Great. I think that's a perfect takeaway. And thank you, Julian, uh, for your time today. It was it was very interesting. And, and, and thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for Net Zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.